We'll get started. Hello. Welcome. So good to see you all. Um, as most of you know, I'm Dr. Brian Sam, and I'm a poet professor here in the literature department. And I'm so thrilled and excited to be here for this class and this event. A uh, very special day. Uh, I get to wear uh, both my hats today, uh, both as the instructor of uh, this course in our Intro to Poetry community, um, and also as the New Writing Series Director, and uh, I'm so thrilled about that. Um, before we begin, I'd like to ask that we turn off all of our devices, anything that might beep or buzz or ring, and maybe disrupt the reading, so take a moment and do that. I'm doing it with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, if you were able to attend any of the symposium today, the symposium Rethinking Ethnopoetics and the Legacy of Jerome Rothenberg, you know what a fabulously rich day of poetry and, and conversation we've had here on campus. And it's a thrill now to uh, close out the day uh, by turning to the poetry of Pierre Joris. Uh, who, with Jerry Rothenberg, who's here in the front row with us, performed the monumental work of anthologizing and editing the hugely successful and essential uh, multi-volume anthology on UC Press, po Poets of the Millennium. In this uh, introduction to poetry class, my students will remember that we began by tracing the word poetry etymologically to the Greek poesis, a word that means to make or making. Joris, for his book of selected poems, the book that first introduced me to his amazing poetry, puns on this same term for the book's title, spelling poesis with an oasis, O-A-S-I-S. -S. That pun gestures to the sonic and visual play always at work in Joris's poems, as well as the cross-inter- or translingual uh, exploration and ex expression at the core of Joris's poetics. Joris, who is both a prolific poet and translator, is fluent in four languages and has written about his poetics in manifesto tones that, quote, we will write in foreign languages, real or made-up ones in order to come to the realization that all languages are foreign. And those that are not are uninteresting in their self-reflecting egoism. The oasis in his oasis, too, reflects what he has termed a nomadic poetics, which is a migratory understanding of language as well as verse an art form of turning on, over, and across lines. In reading Joris's poetry and writings on poetry in anticipation of today's reading, I of course thought of current migrants and refugees, and specifically, specifically about the caravan of migrants, men, women, parents, grandparents, and children, walking on foot and traveling north from Honduras in search of asylum. For these refugees, how might a poesis, an act of making, 
imagine and create an oasis, a place of relief and peace. Often those acts of making and reimagining begin in language. And Joris's work as poet, essayist, and translator encourages us to reimagine those possibilities of a borderless and truly inclusive world. Pierre Joris was born in Strasbourg, France, raised in Luxembourg, and moved between uh, the US, Europe, and North Africa. From 1992 to 2012, he taught poetry and poetics at SUNY Albany. He's published close to 50, 50 books of poetry, essays, translations, and anthologies. Most recently, the book of you, uh, Les Livres des Cormans, with Nicole Pyrefit, uh, The Agony of IV, of Clay, an American Sweet Early Poems, uh, Barzak, Poems 2000-2012, and Breath Turn into Timestead, the collected later poetry of Paul Salam. When not on the road, he lives in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, with his wife, multimedia performance artist Nicole Harifin. And we are so lucky to have him on the road again and here with us in San Diego. Please uh, help me give a warm welcome to Pierre George. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, given that we spent the whole day already working since 8.30, I'm going to make this up as I go along. Uh, I have no idea what I'm doing here, but I've got stuff lying here. Uh, you mentioned that last book, um, The Book of Ooh. That's a pun, a joke. It's in French, it's called Le Livre des Cormorans. So it's the book of cormorants. But U is the sound you make in Japanese when you name the cormorant. And um, it turns out that the first cormorant I met was in a haiku by Basho. So that was in 1965 in Paris. But the reason I want to start with the cormorant is that when I put this little booklet together, I look back on where cormorants appeared in my work, and we can do that so easily now, right? Google your own hard drive. Uh, and weirdly enough, the first cormorant appearing in a poem of mine uh, was here on the West Coast when I was living in Encinitas. And uh, uh, the prelude, West Coast, the Triton. We used to go and have excellent drinks there after teaching here. The Triton, late afternoon, and even the ocean scumps up earth, shoves sand back up, droppings of caught air. Along the Pacific Rim, the prurite du soleil, young women jog and wag, hurdling the scum line towards what lethal love marathon I can't fathom. Oh, cormorants, take my mind off the blonde gulls and their light carnivorous lust. You hover and dive, you drive a poet's gullet, 
no albatross around this neck. Like Lazarus, you rise again from the ashes, like that bird, a turkey with funky feathers and an attitude a mile long, no cormorant would crane her neck to it, except that now your mind has turned into a shroud a mile long, white and flat, and you have to start writing all over it, all over again. So that was the West Coast uh, poems, uh, intro poem that I guess I did in 91, because in 92 we moved, we moved out. Um, where I live in Brooklyn, uh, I'm lucky enough to live right at the Narrows, so I see the harbor. You know, I had the water in front of me, and every day I take a walk along uh, the waters on the other side of the highway, and I can see the cormorants, and I go and meet my cormorants. So uh, it is they who really give me this poems. The light here is not terrific. Um, do you think we should could put this on? I can actually. The French print in very tiny fonts, and this must be about seven, and that means it is difficult to read. Just that one, maybe. <laughs> All right, let's not worry. I'll, uh, I'll make the poems up as I go along if I can't see them. It's called improvisation, which is my favorite musical form in jazz. So. Two for the cormorants. One, the heart of the cormorant is at the head of its name. It wants more, but no rant. Two, we applaud the cormorant even if the fish slipping down its gullet won't. In the absence of cormorants, a cricket, cicada? No, a female mantis, it is green, walks the narrow railings along the narrows. A turtle pokes its head out of the quiet water before diving to the bottom. Here, things are upside down. The earth carries a turtle on its back. A mantis looks down on it all, worried or unworried that it may fall. Halfway down my morning walk and lament for missing fauna forms remembers yesterday's mantis and turtle while now only a half dozen sleepy gulls swing nonchalantly on flat waters halfway between here and Staten Island. So this all and in between a halfway house called New York when of a sudden from underwater this cormorant rises, sits quietly for a moment and then with Olympic precision, starts to dive back under as another cormorant rises 25 feet away in perfect rhyme with its disappearing semblable. A phalacrocorax da fort, fort da, made my morning, and no doubt theirs too. A poem for Paul Blackburn. Paul, change birds. 
you can look a cormorant in the eye, though not a gull. Paul Blackburn, wonderful New York poet, has a poem in which he says, Never look a gull in the eye. Something bad is going to happen. Some of them Christians dislike cormorants, most likely cause they eat fish on more days than just Fridays. In the dark days of summer, three of them, and that's poems, there happen not to be cormorants in here. One, thinking in Europe begins, suggests Pascal Quignard, that is, his Mourir de Pensée suggests, thinking begins with Argos, Odysseus's dog. Check Odyssey, chapter 17, verse 301. translates literally as he thought Odysseus in him who moved towards him. Two, which returns me to lines by Habib Tangur, translated a dog's age ago. Quote, Homer will say that nobody recognized him, Odysseus, except the old dog. But dogs don't live long enough to recognize their masters. Three, and riding the subway this morning, this, a baseball cap on the end train reads, in dog years, undead, in red, on pink cap of a very alive Indian lady in her thirties. The poem by Basho, where I found uh, my first cormorant. Uh, here is my literal, my very literal translation of it. A bird, a pleasure to see, though soon sadness. Boats, yes, but no cormorant. Uh, in Japanese transcription, this probably does not sound like what I am going to read now. Omoshirote yagate kamashiki ubune kana. My translation of that is O mush I wrote, vacate can as hickey, you bun a can, which is a homophonic translation. Second poem of Basho's, which has cormorants in it. Again, hitching my frock, that river again, yet missing vinegary sweetfish. I think those vinegary sweetfish were what was caught by the cormorants uh, who were used as fishing birds by uh, the people. They had put something around their neck so the fish couldn't go all the way down. You can do that with pelicans, too, in different cultures. Some are so short-sighted, while in winter, though, through bare branches, the ships lie in wait. The length of the narrows 
and the gull's eye, their sterns loiter for garbage. My cormorants don't go there. There's a statement, not an order. There's no ring around your neck in either, in any season. The one and only cormorant was waiting right there at the elbow the 69th Street Pier and the Narrows walkway made, sitting some ten feet offshore, neck craned, eye taking it all in, sea and land. I wondered if, or started to, but it dove for breakfast fast as I picked up walking speed, earphones broadcasting France Culture interview with Jacques Rancière by Laura Dler, the theme, quote, it is not democracy that's exhausting itself, but oligarchy, end of quote. Why? I looked back twice, not over French Marxist thinking, but over the undisturbed surface of the narrows, then moving forward into speed walking, Hip-swinging mode, I'm overtaken 50 feet to my right by said bird, the cormorant, not rancière, doing its quiet cormorant best, flying south just above the surface, skimming ahead as I pick up speed, now see it at the level of the 86th Street flyover, settled again and diving as I come up to it, break surface, silvery fish at a 90-degree angle in beak, as if to show off, the twitching freshness of the catch, down its gullets it goes, as I hear Jacques Rancière explain the need back when, I know not, missed that bit, but long before I had ever met a cormorant, the need to think with Debray, whom I had met and who had swallowed me like the cormorant its fish, the notion of a revolution in the revolution, to create that living space in between, as I would put it now, a lagoon betwixt the gulag of totalitarianism and the gulag of capitalism. That was the only what's-his-name, my bird, black lightning without thunder, my poor memory at seventy, my cormorant, the only such cormorant this morning, made my morning in the sweltering anthropo scene called New York. Okay, I'll move. No, that one stops. That one doesn't work. I look at it from time to time, but. Uh, the book that came out since then, in fact, is a translation. I'll read one bit. Uh, the Egyptian poet, uh, Safa Fathi. Uh, she's an excellent filmmaker. She made a beautiful movie on Derrida called Derrida d'ailleurs, where she takes Derrida back to Algeria and films him in, in his home thing. So she's somebody who moves between Cairo, where she's from, and Paris, and uh, a range of places. Um, so she's a poet and a cinematographer. And she was, um, during the revolutionary days, she was at Tahrir Square filming. Uh, and then writing poems. Uh, her brother passed from renal failure at the same time, and it was connected, it was not connected, but it's a very complex uh, um, uh, story. So I'll read one, uh, maybe two poems from the book here called Revolution Goes Through Walls. The day the events of the Ministerial Council revisited the lake, in his night, he carries the wind, the sound of the window, 
I, who learned life, have forgotten how to live. In front of me blue water, a worry, the color of the watch on my wrist, the lost messages, they'll find me, perhaps. I write to you from a boat, it crosses from one shore to the other, of the realm of forgetfulness. We forgot that gas ravaged our skin in autumn, under the sun. We forgot those who perished in open air on the desert sand, the corpses of those who doctored wounds. There were those who, whose charred skin revealed the beast. I am the burnt book swallowed up by water. Between hands, drops escaped my pages. At night the sky rained. I carried my lens like a mask against the gas. The air gathered in my lungs. I emptied them like bags on the ground. Each breath on the ground had gelatinous colors, red, green, yellow, black, and the rumble of the backwash, but no water settled like an aura or memory of November days. In those days, Cairo retreated into a thick cocoon. Heavy gray rain fell on my hair. I sheltered from the rain in my revolution mirage. In the November cocoon, Mohammed Mahmoud Street became Eyes Street. Last night, I dreamed of you, father. You were smiling, wearing the uniform of the officer you were, a prison officer. You brought the oath that illuminated your face. You prayed. My daughter, I heard you say, come back to your land, spin from the threads of the cocoon, a dress you wear, no matter its ash and color, you are ash, no matter rain and gas, for inevitably Maya will prevail. As for your heart, is an envelope in a box, you cannot open it here. The street has wings, its feathers come from a remote place, salt dunes, and in the <coughs> sand, a road opens up for you, as if you'd never left, as if you were born only here, as if you'd only slept in one bed that travels with you wherever you go. So there's a series of those poems, and then towards the end there is a series of kind of prose vignettes called Snapshots. Tell your feet that don't want to accompany you where you want to go, that the journey is towards absence. When the gas entered my lungs, I decided to start smoking again. The taxi driver took me as far as Al Abbasia and held his hand out to greet me. He and I are details, becoming acquainted in the space of a city in 2011, he represented the brothers and I the others. We wore masks to protect ourselves from the gas. We knew perfectly well that they were signs to recognize each other while we marched. On the square, an old man came towards me carrying a plate of kushari. I said to him, in the new constitution, Women have to be given full rights. When a young man's cold hand grabbed mine as I entered the square through the Talat Harp barricade, I yelled at him so he let me through without controlling my national identity card number. 
Each time I came through the Abdelnamein Riyadh barricade, the young girl who body-searched me would say, please forgive me, and I would forgive her immediately. I stood behind a sheikh who was sermonizing on Tahrir Square. Each time he said something beautiful, I'd add, well said. Then he would say even more beautiful phrases. Some men sat down on the sidewalk and wrote slogans on bits of cardboard. Exhausted, they wore the slogans on their heads like hats. I entered the sentry box of a traffic policeman in front of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, a history professor, originally from the Delta, who was already sitting there, resting from a night spent standing, securing the square. Okay, that was that. Let me go to a book called Barzakh, which is, I've already mentioned, in between. Barzakh is, in Arabic, that realm in the Quran, that realm where you go between life and death. Uh, What in Tibetan uh, philosophy is called the Bardo, the Bardo Third All, which you may know from the Tibetan book of the dead. People still weep this kind of stuff. Who am I to know? Uh, so the Barzakh is that in-between realm, and the great Arab poet, philosopher, in Arabi, writing about this, said, yes, it is the in-between, but in fact, there is nothing else but the in-between. There are no fixed sides. So as today, we spent the day thinking, talking about Joan Rothenberg and his work, let me read a few poems called the Rothenberg Variations, which I wrote some years ago for a birthday of his, where I took lines or words from the first poem he from his first book, and lines from the last book he had published by that time, and kind of jumbled them and created uh, something with uh, Cherry's own lines. Rothenberg variation number one. Where sun still black, fish smells us in the long city, at large in the wound of our curving vagina. The wind crickets knew you, the stolen cavity, wrapped heads, splitting poison gills, drew blood, a sad white heart, fully there, searching paradise. Two, and the cry, neighbors, there, but he comes, my fish comes, emptied the death of light. They crossed the lie, a fish comes, cracks the whole, hands disrupted by a spider grew out of air, moon, blood, we roof, we cold, what scraping, where dead soldiers looked, was dark, my bed, my icicle. Variation number three. Old legs and fish. Terror sees behind mountains how to be mountains. He thinks it's all up 
I acts like overnight bars, your two strides, something, lilies, cigars, asters, single out graves. No, granite movement flowers, but bronze flowers hidden in stones. Number four, everything gives as Horses give a language, a town gives tigers, a scarf gives voice, a church even gives hot things. No, a thunderbolt on a fish who quakes and raises us, pursuing hot things. Away even, a language, outhinged, but away. Variation number five. Dead under skyward temples. Man be water through eye branches. Trembling blood root forehead to see. Christ be eyelash her heart that blood in silence on candlestick. And the last one, 15. Sang 1907 loneliness, boldly the ice chameleons, ground teeth, heat space with geisha ghosts. We lost a flag, a frog too, but his hat scratching a green doubt, his gang too, all sang, wept, found the babes transforming, there's the left moon. Boy moves against him, but by him, of him, speaks sweet Napoleon, of freedom, bones transformed. That was, thank you for your words, Jerry. <laughs> uh, I can't look at that thing there, it doesn't tell me anything. That's a time for Barzakh. Yeah, that's an in, it's the in between time, right? It's, it's somewhere it is that. Uh, there's a sequence of poems that is still not finished, but some of them are in this uh, book. Um, the sequence is called An Alif Ba, and it means I wanted to write uh, a poem for each letter of the Arabic alphabet. Mm. It's one way of studying my Arabic letters. Uh, my Arabic is very bad, but so I love to spend a lot of time with a letter, for example. You know. uh, so here, but uh, the, the sequence as it is so far. So extracts from an Alif Ba. Preamble to an alphabet. Let us row, says Abu al-Abbas Ahmed al-Buni. Let us arose from the light of the pen inscribed the great destiny on the sacred table. After wandering through the universe, the light transformed into the letter Alif, source of all the others. Another arrangement of letters into words and words into stories has it that Allah created the angels according to the name and number of the letters so that 
so that they should glorify him with an infinite recitation of themselves as arranged in the words of the Quran. And the letters prostrated themselves, and the first to do so was the Alif, for which Allah appointed the Alif to be the first letter of his name and of the alphabet. Alif. Adam is said to have written a number of books three centuries before his death. After the flood, each people discovered the book that was destined for it. The legend describes a dialogue between the Prophet Muhammad and one of his followers who asked, by what sign is a prophet distinguished? By a revealed book, replied the Prophet. O Prophet, what book was revealed to Adam? Alif, Ba, and the Prophet recited the alphabet. How many letters? Twenty-nine letters. But, O Prophet, you have counted only twenty-eight. Muhammad grew angry and his eyes became red. O Prophet, does this number include the letter Alif and the letter Lam? Lam Alif is a single letter. He who shall not believe in the number of twenty-nine letters shall be cast into hell for all eternity. I'm not yet at the letter Lam Alif and at the combination thereof. That will come in the next installment. So you have to wait for the resolution of that mystery. One. And Alif has many seats, under which he is silent, though you cannot call it suffering. Suffering rhymes with zero, at least initially, a sweet round perfection as we like to draw it, doodling one into the other. Newspaper margins of the black and white mid-fifties at Madame Cavallotti's where I wrote or learned to daily at 5 p.m., whose husband told me that in the last war, which wasn't the last at all, he had been forced to drink his piss from his boot in the desert of Libya, his wife linking zeros, rounds in the margins of the daily vort, making, making writing a chain of nothingness that is something. And that is our fate and fluch, that we have to do something, even to achieve the nothing, even if we only doodle ourselves through life, while talking on the phone to someone, doodling elsewhere, while all we mumble are sweet nothings, chains of linked zeros. Yet step back and focus shifts, a shape emerges, from the space created by the two circles, intersection, mandorla, wherein stands the shape of Ceylon's eye, of the fruit of the almond tree, there stood may be the names of the six kings of Madian, make up the letters of the Arabic alphabet. The nothing, where does it stand? It stands outside the almond, it stands in the shelves of the suffering, the zero crescents, above and below. Human curl, you'll not turn grey, empty almond, royal blue. Fall away as the almond looms, yet remain as links of the chain, isthmus claws, so mandorla to mandorla. Two. What a place that must be, 
something at least to be in and if that nothingness with the Hamza a sort of zag without a zig a future breath half taken now with always something more solid, important coming right behind it a kind of fishing hook which puts an odd occasion on this table a fishing hook equals a future breath here lie the roots of an other surrealism yet to come when we find the zig goes with the orphan zag Let the second letter ba a homophone of house where there is a fishing hook there is bait as big as a house we can all live in the fish swims through it this is needed now for the sun is going down maybe it was scared by the cannon shot just heard or maybe the cannon shot was to announce the setting of the sun it is strange how cause and effect can exchange places as if this all was an old, old dance we're in where without reason we have to change partners I don't know and don't trust those who do say they know and yet I am sure of something both canon, sound and sun set tell the same tale both canon, sound and sunset tell the same tale the people can break their fast go into their houses and find something to eat. And should the larder be empty, we can always eat the bait. Uh, and now uh, jump to the last letter that is complete here, which is the letter N, which in Arabic is Noon. A poem in Noon. Noon already, yet dew persists in a letter Framer of enlightenment, a vocalization of Arabic and a discussion. No, an excerpt from a letter, the other kind, or is it, in which Rita, again to open her name, meditates on that most redolently, redundantly, of poetic objects, the dewdrop, rosé, dew, nedar, where our R. French rolls and roils into the dark of around a bucket, a drop in a bucket to re-emerge hissing wet something somewhat sheepish but not ain so difficult to pronounce for northern claritas. Rosé, rosé, you want to go on. Med, brel, sheep, brain. Rosé, rosas, rosa, rosarum. And elsewhere we'll have gobbled the drop by noon whereas dew dances on that soft initial D, even if one suspect a long-gone missing Hamza, that moment of separation, of drop and ether, air, the caught breath of transformation, air into water, a condensation, a poem in itself. We live on such false etymologies, on the real joy of sounding. It brings on what unravels in a word, lip-formed, throat instructed, scraping or not the roof of its tent and way back of it, too high up to get that close or simply get it, the brain, amazed that shaped air makes sense in difference. Shut your brain port, as if, as if, 
for a moment. Open your mouth. Be wet, sweet breath. Be dew. Be dew. Be the bedwind. Let her be noon. Be noon dew. Between lips be silk between. Be between the letter and the brain. The letter and the letter. Be the Hamza. Both cuts and links. Be Barzakh. Be peninsula. Be isthmus. Be the moment between. Breathe. Right breath. Write the separation between letter and letter, the air bridge. Be there and listen. Rosé, dew, a dew rose, triangulation with soft, sweet nada. Hop over the bent back of the initial, both hands gently on that back. To gain air becomes the slight explosion of D into that most initial and red vowels. Arnica, all healer, end of nada. But I err, the alphabet was wrong, the Arabic noon shaped mirror reversal over the horizon. In its language, the letter, a little trough, a gentle curved cup, and the dew, the drop maybe is, but the dot hangs over it. Thus, That was an introductory lecture on the Arabic alphabet. Hmm. <coughs> Let me see where I can go here. Oh, let's go back to New York for a moment. Friend, we have a friend called Douglas Rothschild. Reading Rothschild and then so rudely interrupted as I have to run to catch the end train at 36th Street to try to make St. Mark's. I am late. The train is late too. I am irritated. The train is too and apologizes for being slow. So I pull Theogony out and start to read with notebook at the ready. Now the young Asian girl next to me takes her earphones out to listen to the train's apologies and her eyes fall on the open Theogony and I notice from the corner of mine that she keeps reading and all of a sudden she smiles and starts to giggle before putting her hand over her mouth and turning away still smiling and chuckling and that's the best review I could never write of Doug's book. Just then the train stops at 14th Street and I get off, walk fast in fading sun and nearly make it on time to the Jack Spicer table, the table ronde, no longer worried, in fact happy, thinking how great that just now as I move back to New York City for the first time since 1972, how great that there is a poet here as sharp on the city and as good on us as my friend Paul Blackburn was back then and now I'm here at the Poetry Project and of course Douglas is here too listening to what the West Coast people have to say in New York City so I close the notebook and admire my man's suspenders. Should probably wrap it up soonish before I 
pass out from. Oh, another little New Yorkish or Albany-ish part, part from the days I would go to bars. At Justin's, late Justin's was a good jazz bar. At Justin's, late, the whisk in whiskey is to the hip in whip, as the poem is to the noem. From love to move, one letter laid low, from struck to stroke. A hands-on experience is no science. You strike a chord. She sings, me lord. The drum kicks in. I think I was listening to my wife sing, me lord, by, uh, what's her name? Edith Piaf. Edith Piaf, yes. sequence of allergies, but I'm not in a mood to read allergies. Ah, or, no, he's gone. I'm a Yiddish specialist, paradigm. He could hear, uh, so I'm from Luxembourg originally, and my, my mama Lushen, my mother tongue is Luxembourgish, Luxembourgish. And I don't really use it, but I use a line in this poem, so this gives me a reason to read this poem. Uh, there is an American photographer, well-known, called Edward Steichen. Anybody know of him? Well, that man was born in Luxembourg, and he was a Luxembourger and emigrated as a kid to, to this country. So here is a poem called Letter to Steichen's It. In fact... This is a quote from Steichen. In fact, every photograph is a fake from start to finish, a purely impersonal, unmanipulated photograph being practically impossible. Leben it, ich weiß nicht, ob du ein Spruch nach gekannt wirst. That's why I'll address you in American English. You were born to Baven by Razor in Luxembourg. I was not. You were an American citizen. I am still not. I'm just a plain citizen of Luxembourg. You believed in the family of man. I am weary of families of any order and species. But you are family. In that photo by Dana, those clear blue Luxembourg eyes exactly like Cousin Lolf's. The cut of the face too. There's a resemblance close to the bone, close to the farm, a way in which the head is held high and loose. You're my homeboy of old a cousin, maybe even cousin Germain, as the French would say. Now you burnt your paintings when your gardener imitated one of yours. A strange act, a criticism of the representation of representation, maybe? Or just a cheap trick to prove Duchamp wrong for saying stupide comme un peintre and move on to the new technologies. Now, I never burned a single poem, have kept them all, 
But then you had Carl Sandburg in the family, devoted companion for long walks and writing for you. I have always hated taking photos, but bought a camera at 60 to shoot landscapes and the family of one Joris and half a dozen friends, but I always leave it home or forget it in my pocket. You are a famous delphinium breeder. I only brood over words, make poems and make anthologies, weird cut flower bouquets. I'm in Albany, New York, and sometimes visit Buffalo, where you did avant-garde color autochromes. The year Ford introduced the Model T Ford, and one year after Picasso painted his Demoiselle. Ah, the autochrome, hot off the 1903 mines of the Frères Lumière, then I've seen the Light Brothers, first marketed in our year 1907, it is an, addict an addictive method, an no, it is an additive method, a process involving millions of microscopic grains of potato starch. Did you ever think of the Luxembourg staple food, grompa, when you loaded the camera? Dye bright blue violet, bright orange red and telly green, dusted on a slightly concave piece of glass, already coated as liquid pitch mixed with a dram of beeswax, to keep it tacky, the random spaces filled with lamp black and panchromatic silver halide emulsion. The resultant screen was stochastic in nature, a random array, an abstraction way beyond the demoiselle's lemure cubism, though the light you let pass through the photosensitive plate coming off your subjects, say Charlotte Spaulding in Buffalo, with the starch grains remaining as aligned as the starch of her lacy dress organized his randomness into plain Edwardian beauty. Ed, you were not Edwardian. You were just the Luxembourg lad in America who made good and moved to his ease between Condé Nast and this here place 50 years before Warhol. If I am trying so hard to understand this autochrome process, of which you said, no medium can give me color of such wonderful luminosity. It is because you also said, if you don't take doors off their hinges, how are you going to know to put doors back on their hinges? So that, Cousin Ed, may be where we disagree. Why put the doors back on the hinges? Beauty will bolt anyway, and all we are level, ever left with is the beauty of doing the work the handwork, the hands-on work, your plates, my words. Merci, cousin. Das kurze Wissen, das du heibas für I won't translate those lines. Uh, let me close with... Um, I think closing, I can close now. Huh? Let me close with a poem that, that comes from a long sequence... Uh, not a long sequence, and actually a tercet. Let me see, where, where is this? Uh, I was asked to write a poem after the, um, the rig disaster in the Mexican Gulf, if you remember when the rig blew up. Um, I have now forgotten the name of the rig. Um, it was, um, uh, what was it called? I can't remember. 
but you know the the giant spill in the Gulf of Mexico that caused so much trouble, and um, th there's an, a choir in Philly that asked me to write poems uh, that they would give to three composers to write pieces for choir. Now I cannot sing them, so I just read the poems. Uh, I'd hope maybe you know I could have spent here in the choir. It's a choir of thirty-five people who reads the poem behind me. Then you don't understand a word. The first one, uh, um, I looked for something to take off from to write this poem of this incredible wreck. And I thought of there's a great French poem, the great French avant garde poem of the late 19th century, which is Le Coup de Dé, The Throw of the Dice by Mallarmé. That poem. It's not really about a throw of the dice. It's about a shipwreck, a ship going down with its captain on it. So I used that poem as a kind of bounce-off barrier lines, words, uh, and wrote this poem, which is not shipwreck, but which is rig wreck, because it was a rig, right? Rig wreck, a throw. What do we know? What can we know of the dice, of science, of love? Only the facts, that is to say, only effects. Never can this happen, never, even if, can this happen in science, in love, even when cast, indress, net of love, even when cast, money, net of stone. What do we know? What can we know? What has caused this gulf between water and oil, you and me? In eternal circumstances, no circumstances are eternal. At the heart of, of this rig-wreck, what will we know? We know only effects have to choose the causes. A shipwreck at the heart that the gulf widens between water and oil, you and me, fish and water, me and you, that the abyss between water and water, you and you, me and me, oil and fish, Widened, then whitened, there is slack growing, raging underwater, in the heart, under heart, in the water, on the brain. What we know is oil and water don't mix. What we know is fish and oil don't mix. What we know is you and I have to mix. What we know is you and I have to live under an incline, climbing of a warming climb. An angle, not an angel, tells us me and you want to live, even if despair desperately soars and gets an angry rise from the phantom pain of its own planet's sore broken wing, a second-hand angel singing ecce homo, ecce homo, though not so sapiens, conscious liar, beforehand relapsed liar. Liar not released from wrongly steering the flight of this planetary love affair, no use repressing the outbursts of this lethal love affair, cleaving the bounds of this oily love affair at the root of greed, set the rig afloat 
a ship, finally a ship, the impossible change, for deep inside weighs the admission of impending disaster, the shadow hidden in the depths by this, by this arrogance, this arrogance at the root of greed, this arrogance at the root of arrogance, this love, this love for more, a more always spelled out in money, blows the rig up this morning, will blow the world up tomorrow, there is no alternate sail. Ship Earth in space, space ship Earth, the only raft for dumb sapiens who has to learn to love the imperfect raft. There is no alternate sail. Dumb sapiens has to learn love, has to learn to adjust, has to learn to look to the spread. The spreading of disaster has to learn to jump its yawning depth as great as any abyss between you and me, the hull of a rig, the hull of a ship, careening from side to side, turns over and is for a moment cathedral, burning church of the worship of money, brightly floating death, flaunting love, rig-rag, rig-rag, a catastrophe here now, the circumstances local and global, not eternal, only this now, cannot grasp the author, opens a gulf between life and death, a millimeter uncrossable, a BP centipede monster at the heart of his rig-rack. Abolish, abolish, abolished responsibility. Moloch, Moloch, Moloch rules. Moloch rules. All rules broken when Moloch rules. Thank you.